just can't help it because it's just close to my heart. Um, a lot of you may or may not know me. When I was 25, I got pregnant, and um, I was single, and the dad wanted me to have an abortion, and I kept them, and of course, you know, I have the triplets now, and they're almost 22, so the Lord always provided and, and made a way for us, and this church was a huge part of it, and it's because of the foundation that, um, that we had here, that God had for us, that um, we all made it to this point, and we'll continue to make it, but... There's a lot of girls that are still at that point where I was 22 years ago. So um, I want to. I'm going to start volunteering there. I haven't. Um, that's still in the process. But I told them that I would start giving announcements and stuff like that just to just to get my foot in the door with it. But um, there in on July 20th, there was a heartbeat bill that was passed that prohibits doctors to offer abortions if there's a fetal heartbeat and so um that was a huge success for us and for babies that that, that can't speak for themselves or do anything for themselves um where their parents are not making you know the best decisions that they could at the time so um a lot of people think that that's their only option and, and i i would be lying to tell you that when i found out that i was pregnant that that thought did cross my mind for a millisecond but the lord just grabbed it and just took it right out but it's just because of the situation and i know a lot of people don't understand it because their situation is normal i mean i don't know how to put it but um there's a lot of people that find themselves in situations that um that they're scared and they make harsh quick decisions and um and babies are gone to heaven because of that. So many babies. Anyway, um, so of course abortionists are fighting this and have filed and filed for an emergency hearing to block the heartbeat bill. But um, Fulton County Judge McBurney dismissed the motion. So that was a huge success. Um, and the way that um, you guys can contribute is praying, praying for these judges that have to go through all of this as well. Um, but pray, praying, financially supporting, uh, volunteering, or sharing just educational resources, that, um, and that's by telling people about the Pregnancy Resource Center. Um, there's also a dinner um, that Glenlock um, provide, or, or that the Resource Center does, and Glenlock has a table, and there's eight seats, I believe that four are taken right now, so if there's anybody that's interested, it's on September the 22nd. Um, if you'll just see me, and you can, I'm on Facebook, or you can just see me here, or get my number from Catherine or anybody. Thank you. Yeah, so if you are interested in being a part of that dinner, it's a, a fundraiser for the PRC. So um, you can see um, Miss Jenny if you have any more questions about that. That table is already there, so we just need people to fill, uh, fill that table. So... Um, some other announcements really quickly as we, as we begin worship this morning. Um, one being that our homecoming service is coming up September 11th. Um, there'll be, Michael Creed will be here um, bringing our homecoming message and then we'll have a dinner, I mean a lunch to follow. So um, mark your calendars for September 11th and then um, 
Also, the next couple of weeks, there's some schedule uh, changes. Next week, next Sunday, our students are going to the Braves game immediately following morning worship. If you're already signed up for that, um, come see me for some more details if you have any questions. Um, and then September 4th and September 11th, which are the next two Sunday nights, we won't have evening services um, because the 4th is Labor Day weekend and the 11th is our homecoming service. So just so you guys are kind of aware of, of some of the scheduling things that we have going on. But as we begin worship, I'm going to ask one of our student ministry leaders, um, John Bledsoe, if he'll come forward and he's going to read um, our call to worship as we begin um, our service this morning. Good morning. Good morning. So I'll be reading Exodus 12, 21 through 28, and I'll be using the ESV version. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your plans, and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his, of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians, and then see, he sees the blood on the lintel and the, on the two doorposts. The Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep his service. And when you children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he has passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt. When he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day, Lord. Thanks for what you've given us and all that you've blessed us with, Lord. Um, thank you, God, that we can come and we can just commun uh, commune together, Lord, and that we can worship you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. If you'll stand, we're going to begin worship this morning with singing, Here I Am to Worship.
we continue worshiping this morning um, when Bryson said he was preaching this week he said hey it's real simple communion that's what the whole morning is about communion and so as we prepare our hearts for um, communion this morning we're going to sing nothing but the blood together
Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much just for allowing us to come into your house and worship this morning, God. Lord, thank you that we've been able to um, sing songs to just set our hearts toward communion, God. Lord, um, thank you for being a God who longs um, for the weary and the broken to come to you for um, help and labor and rest, God. Lord, um, this morning, will you just um, give us communion in a new light, God? Um, Lord, as Bryson brings the message, God, Lord, um, just remind us that this isn't a routine, God. Um, and just speak clearly through your word. Be with our workers and children in children's church, God. And Lord, just have your way. Uh, move in a mighty and powerful way. We love you and praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are dismissed to children's church in the back. As the children leave, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. And um, if this is your first time with us, um, you've only missed a little um, in Luke. But we'll catch you up. Um, we have been in Luke for, it feels like, 10 years at this point. But I think it's only been a couple. And uh, we are actually at the last week of Jesus' life. In the last days of Jesus' life. And this morning we're going to make it into the last hours of Jesus' life. And um, I, will, um, I will say that when I told um, Catherine that, the, uh, that this week is all about communion, I didn't lie. Because if, you'll, if you look at my notes, you'll see that the title of this sermon is just Communion. Right, I told Neil I couldn't come up with anything catchy or rhymey or same letter or anything like that. So just communion. But when we look at it, we're going to look at communion from two different perspectives this morning. One perspective will be the one that you probably think about, which is the actual act of taking communion. Right, The, the act of remembering here. But also I want us to look at the reality of communion, which the people of God are to live in with Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a communion that is not just an act that we do, but it's a, a life in which we live. And so we're going to look at both of those this morning um, through the eyes of communion. So Luke chapter 22, in the previous, uh, in the previous verses, we kind of end with this idea that Jesus has been going to the temple and he's been teaching. And at night he'd go out and he'd slip on the hill sleep on the hill called the Mount of Olives, and then early in the morning he'd come and to the temple and, and people would hear him speak. And as we conclude that section, we very quickly move into um, a section in which people are not so much happy about what Jesus is saying and what he's doing in the temple. So, verse, 20, verse 1 of chapter 22. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched, over, watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them, when no crowd was present. 
Verse 7, then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. And he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. And they left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. Verse 14, And when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the tables, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for this time we get to spend in your word. And um, Lord, I pray that you would not only teach us truth, this morning, Lord, but that you would transform our lives through your word and through your spirit, Lord, in the way that you, that you can only do. And uh, Lord, keep us in step with you as we work, make our way through these, these verses in Luke. In your name we pray. Amen. So, as we begin, I want us to, to realize that we are quickly approaching the time of Jesus' death. Okay, why mention this? Well, we need to understand that we're just hours away from the arrest, the trial, the crucifixion of Jesus. And so what are we, we're seeing here, especially from verse 7 on, is the, the, really the last uh, interaction uh, between Jesus and his disciples before he goes to the cross. But before we get there, we have to see what's going on behind the scenes. And so that's where we come in verses 1 through 6. So if you have your notes and you want to take notes, the first point that we're going to look at is that the danger of superficial communion. The danger of superficial communion. So, we look at the timeline. Passover was an extremely important time in Jerusalem. I don't know that there's really anything comparable to, to what Jerusalem would have been like at, at Passover. It would have been crowded with people. Sometimes, some people say that usually in Jerusalem, there's usually three to 400,000 people that would have lived there. And now we're talking over a million people in the city of Jerusalem there for the Passover festival. It's flooded with people. The, the, the same people who have spent days listening to Jesus preach in the temple are now about to take the Passover meal together. And what are some things that Jesus has done at the temple? Well, he went in there and he drove out the money changers. That happened in Luke 19. Luke 20, several times he stumped the religious leaders. Right? They say, what authority do you do this? And he said, well, what authority did John baptize? And they stepped away saying, I don't know that I want to ask him any more questions. 
right? In the same way, the Sadducees talk, you know, had that ridiculous idea of the resurrection, and Jesus stumped them in that, and they walk away from him saying, I don't know that I want to question Jesus anymore. And so one thing that we, we find evidently clear here is that the teachers of the law and the scribes had already decided that Jesus would die. We see that in the verses that say they were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. So what's happening here? They want to get rid of Jesus, but there's too many people. There's too many people who love Jesus. There's too many people who would riot if this were to happen. And they know a riot would bring swift consequences from the Romans. And so they're trying to figure out this way. They're sitting up in their room. I can just imagine them thinking, like, how are we going to get rid of this guy? And then enters Judas. And they, who would have thought that one of the 12 who had walked day by day with Jesus Christ would be the one to turn him over to the officials? Well, there's a couple of people who knew. Jesus knew. Satan most likely knew that this would happen. And so, really quickly, my, my, my hope is to be quick on point one and a little longer on point two and three. And I tell you that beforehand, so if I look over at Brooke and she's like, I'll, I'll speed up, okay? She's not afraid to tell me. But what I want us to understand about this first section is that we have to answer the question of why. Why Judas, right? Why would Judas go about turning over to the authorities the person that he's followed for the past three years of his life? The one he's walked with and talked with and eaten with. Like, why is it that Judas would do this? Why is it that he would go? And in Matthew 26, he literally says, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And so I think there's two major things that we have to wrestle with here. First of all, the first thing that we have to wrestle with here is that Satan entered Judas. That's what it says in verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And so here's, here's something that we don't need to miss, and I hope that this sinks heavy on your heart. Satan is not some made-up character from a made-up book. When it says that Satan entered Judas, what we need to realize is that there's a real enemy. You know, a lot of times I watch TV and it seems like every depiction of Satan, you know, is like this goofy caricature of, you know, what we think that the evil would look like and all this kind of stuff. And it, it's easy for us to get in this idea that Satan is, is, is a figment of our imagination or just an enemy that the Bible, the Bible uh, writers had to have to insert into the storyline. And I'm here to tell you that Satan is, is real. He has a real agenda, right? He really walks around, and, 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 and he, really, um, he really tries to, to insert his will into the lives of, of the people of God. And so we need to recognize that Satan is really a part of this storyline. 1 Peter 5, 18 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. There's a real enemy out there. There's a real battle happening, and Satan leads the charge in that area. But the last time we encountered Satan, it says that this in Luke chapter 4, it says when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. 
And so if you remember, Satan tried to tempt Jesus in, in the desert to, um, to bow down before him, to, to, to show that he was the Messiah before it was time. And of course, Jesus pushed back against this and defeated Satan in his temptation. And, and so Satan leaves looking for a more opportune time to come at Christ, and he found the opportune time in the person of Judas. The second factor we have to consider is Judas went to the chief priest and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So what we need to recognize is that Judas wasn't just a vehicle used by Satan to accomplish a goal, but he was an active participant in this betrayal. He was an active participant in this betrayal. As Satan searched for an opportune time, he saw Judas as part of that opportunity. And he entered in. When I was listening or reading some other commentaries about this, they said things like, it wasn't like Judas was walking one way and Satan forced him to go the other way, but, but Judas was already moving towards the betrayal and Satan just pushed him along. And so what's the cause of all this? How can someone who walked with Jesus, how can they possibly be the one to betray him? And I think the answer is that Judas never truly had genuine communion with Jesus. If you look at Judas, the way that he interacted with Jesus and with the disciples, you'll see that Judas was with the disciples, but he was never truly of the disciples. Judas saw Jesus as teacher, but he never submitted to Jesus as Lord. Judas was physically a part of the group, but spiritually he was distant. Well, how do we know this? Well, we look at, at Judas' life. We look at the way that he interacted with Christ and the other disciples. One, um, one really uh, obvious point is in John chapter 12, this, this woman brings this um, perfume to, to pour on Jesus' feet, to anoint him with oil, to, to point to him as Messiah and Lord. And this is, what, this is what, how Judas responded in John 12. He said, one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor. It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to put what was into it. And so what do we need to recognize and see here for us and for you and for and what's the, what's the warning here that there's a danger in believing that superficial surface level Physical um, communion with, with the people of God is a substitute for having a spiritual communion with the person of God. What, I, what we need to come around here is that we should throw away any pretense we may have that physical participation in the things of Christ is equal to spiritual communion with the person of Christ. We must be very careful in believing that outward actions alone are what saves us. Because I'm here to tell you that Jesus taught and Judas heard. Jesus performed miracles and Judas saw. Jesus spoke and Judas listened. 
but Judas never truly belonged to Jesus. He never truly gave himself over to the will of Jesus. He never truly saw the beauty of Jesus. And so I don't want us to get stuck in this idea that just being around the right people and and doing the right things, that that's a substitute for having a real spiritual connection with Jesus Christ. Now, will those things be a result of that? Yes, but they are not salvation in and of themselves. And so we know, we look at Judas and say, Judas, you saw it, right? You heard it. You were there. But he was never truly surrendered to Jesus. He never truly had communion with Jesus. And what we need to see is that Judas is held. He's held guilty for what he's done. If you look at verse 22 of what we just read. It says, the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. Judas was not pushed along, but he was an active participant in this. Look at all the verbs in the first six verses. It said that Judas went, right? And when he went, he discussed. And when he discussed, he consented. And when he consented, he watched for an opportunity to do what? To hand him over. Judas was active in this. And so we need to be on our guard that we are not participating in outward things without being surrendered in the heart. Because this is a battle that we're going to face over and over and over again. Does anybody ever feel like they're in a battle for their spiritual lives? I hope the answer is yes, because we are all in that battle. And the only way to win that battle is to have communion with Jesus. You go back to Luke chapter 4. Satan has no strength, has no power over Jesus. Looking ahead to next week, I'm going to steal a little bit of what Pastor Neil is going to preach. But next week, Jesus is going to tell Peter that Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. So what's the difference here between Peter and between Judas? It's that one has Christ and one does not. And so in this battle that we're facing against sin and against falling away and against going in the wrong direction, in this battle that all of us face, and I know that we do, what is the one answer to this is that you have to be connected to Jesus Christ in a real way. And too often I think we get stuck feeling as if our Christian walk is only in the physical when really it begins in the spiritual. And Judas never got that. Judas never surrendered. And James 1 says this about temptation. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Being physically present is not enough. We must, we must be spiritually connected. Alistair Begg says this about Um, about the suffering of Jesus and Judas. He says, Jesus had to suffer. 
But Judas didn't have to be the traitor. Jesus had to suffer, but Judas didn't have to be the traitor. And so what does that mean for us? We need to see, are we living just in the superficial, superficial realm of our Christian walk? Are we with the right people, but not with Jesus? Are we walking in the right ways, but not walking with Jesus? Because there's a battle that's taking place, and that battle begins in the Spirit. So, first of all, there is a danger of superficial communion. Secondly, I want us to see Jesus' desire for genuine communion. Jesus' desire for genuine communion. So the Passover, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Passover as we go, because you guys need to understand that, and I need to understand it for the context here. But the Passover was to be eaten in Jerusalem, if you could get there, with your family, okay? And there's a lot of details about this that I'm not going to get right. So if you're like a Jewish scholar in here, like I really hope that you don't like berate me after this is over with. I'm going to do my best, okay, but we don't have a whole lot of time. But the lamb would be slaughtered between like 2.30 and 5.30, okay, on the 14th of Nisan, which was the month of like March, April, all right? And then at sunset is when a new day started for those in Jerusalem. So sunset would happen, and then you would eat the feast after sunset, okay? Why does that matter? Well, Jesus is about to put into action this plan for him and his disciples to eat the Passover meal together. And as you read it, you may be like, this is just a waste of words. Because when you look at it, he says, and this is what you're going to do. You're going to go into town, okay, John and Peter. You're going to go into town, and what you're going to do is you're going to go over to this guy carrying water, and he's going to take you to this house, and you're going to ask the, the, the owner, like, hey, the teacher needs this. And he's like, oh, the room's upstairs. And like, what, why are we reading all of this, right? Why do I care how John and Peter got to the place in which they were going to eat? But when you start to look at the details of what's happening here, and you know the overall um, background of what's happening here, the reason that this is taking place is because Judas has already agreed to betray Jesus, and all he's looking is for an opportune time to hand hand him over. And what greater opportune time than when Jesus and his disciples are all alone during Passover? They would have been... The streets would have been empty because everybody would have been participating in the service. Jesus would have been by himself with the disciples. And so Jesus gives these instructions for the purpose of not letting Judas know where they were going to be. He says, I'm not going to say we're going to Mr. and Mrs. Smith's house on 43 Straight Street and we'll see you there. No, he gives these details. He sets all this in motion so that Judas can't interfere with his plans to eat the Passover with his disciples. And for, for, the, for the disciples and for us, this is such a big deal because to me, what this points out is this, that Jesus desires to have genuine communion with his disciples. If you look at verse 15, and if you underline in your Bible, like I hope you'll underline this, if you look at verse 15, this is what it says. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. If you look at that in the Greek, which I'm not going to try to pronounce it in the Greek because that'd be a catastrophe. But if you look at it in the, in the Greek, it says, I have de- I des- uh, with desire, I have desired. 
with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. And so the driving force behind all of this is Jesus' love for his disciples and his desire to eat this Passover with them before he suffered. The reason he went into the details of saying, hey, look, this man's going to be carrying a jar of water, which would have stood out because usually only women carried water. He said, this man's going to be carrying this water. You're going to go to this house. You're going to say, the teacher asked. All of this, the reason for that is because I so much love you and desire to eat this Passover with you that I'm not going to let anything else get in the way of spending this time with you at this Passover meal. And so this whole plan is put in place so that Judas and the the schemes of Satan could not interrupt the desire of Jesus to eat this meal with his disciples. What we need to see in this is that, yes, the plan of God was for, for, for Jesus to suffer and die, but woven into that plan of God was for Jesus to commune with his disciples. And from the beginning of time, the plan for God to save his people, the plan of God to send his son, the plan of God to redeem people to himself has always included a genuine desire to commune with his people. I don't know about you, but that ought to give you shivers. That the God of the universe who controls everything, that created everything, has woven into his plan for the world to commune with you in a real way. And so even though Judas is already gone, and even though Satan has already entered, and even though the plan is already in place, they cannot interrupt the plan for Jesus to commune at this Passover meal with his disciples. When I thought about this, I thought about, um, I don't know if any of you have ever had somebody who you think is like, okay, more awesome than you or better than you, like say, I want to hang out with you, but that's a good feeling. You know, you may say you're the awesome person and you, you lend your time to other people, that's fine, we'll talk about that later, okay? But when I was in high school, Brooke and I started dating when I was in 11th grade and she was in 12th, so hey, you know, big dog here. And then so... So when we started dating, she had already decided where she was going to go to college. And it was Reinhardt, which is about two and a half hours away. Okay, so she had already decided. We, went the whole, we did the whole thing. We took her up there. We dropped her off. And about six months into this, I decided that I didn't like this arrangement. Right? I didn't like this arrangement because she was there and I was here and I wanted to spend time with her. But what was I supposed to say? Like, Hey, move back, you know, like, come on, like, you need to, I, and I wasn't going to stop her from being where she wanted to be. And then near the end of her first year at Reinhardt, she said, hey, I'm moving back home and I'm going to West Georgia. Now, there may have been other factors included, but I like to believe that part of the factor there is that she desired to be with me. And so in that moment, It gave me, I mean, like what joy to know that the person that you desire to be with is making plans in order to come back and to be with you. That is, there's great joy in that. And even on a greater level, what joy is there that the God of the universe has made plans to come and to be with you? 
And so what I don't want us to miss in this is that your whole idea of your Christian walk will change when you don't just look at the way that you see God, but you look at the way that God sees you. When you don't just look at this this idea that you have to do and do and do and do, those things will come, but it's not just about doing, it's about being. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, with desire... I have desired to eat this Passover meal with you. And so when I look at this, what I see is, yes, there were things still to be taught at this moment. But the reality is Jesus says, the main thing is I want to be here with you. I want to commune with you. There's things to be taught, but man, we get to do this together. And I think too many of us live our Christian walk thinking that Jesus is some distant thing that we can't ever walk and talk and be with. But in reality, what he says is, no, I desire to be with you. There's a good quote in this book, Knowing God. I don't know if you've ever read it or not, but if you haven't, I suggest it. And uh, there's a section called Knowing Jesus, and this is, so this is by J.I. Packer. He says this, For his earthly disciples, knowing Jesus was directly comparable to knowing a great man. But then the disciples who were ordinary Galileans with no special claims on the interest of Jesus, but Jesus the rabbi who spoke with authority, the prophet who was more than a prophet, the master who evoked in them increasing awe and devotion till they could not but acknowledged him as their God, found them. He called them to himself, took them into his confidence, and enrolled them as his agents to declare to the world the kingdom of God. They recognized the one who had chosen them and called them friends as the Christ, the son of the living God, the man born to the king, the bearer of the words of eternal life, and the sense of allegiance and privilege which this knowledge brought transformed their whole lives. And here's the thing. When the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is risen... One of the things it means is that the victim of Calvary is now loose and at large so that anyone, anywhere, can enjoy the same kind of a relationship with him as the disciples had in the days of his flesh. There's a beautiful picture here. And this beautiful picture points us to the fact that an intimacy between Jesus and his disciples, an intimacy between Savior and disciple, which is pictured here in this room, is made possible at the cross and is made available through the giving of the Holy Spirit for all of those who would come to believe in Jesus Christ. At the end of John 17, Jesus is praying for all believers. And this is, this, most people believe this happened in the same night that that this uh, meal happened. And so he's praying and he says, Righteous Father, John 17, 25, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may, may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Psalm 23 I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I fear no evil, for you are with me. 
Isaiah 41.10, fear not, I am with you. Revelation 21, and, the, and God came down and dwelt with his people. God has a plan in place, and that plan includes communion with you. And so how do we look at the things of God? Do we see the intimacy here in our time in the Word? Do we enter into our time reading as a, the Bible as a time of truly hearing the words of a real Savior speaking to our hearts or simply an act to go through? Do we see worship as a time to truly sing words of adoration to our intimate Savior? Do we pray in which, a way in which there's a real Jesus really listening to us on the other side, really understanding our hearts and really walking with us through times of difficulty? We need to get that this is not just a surface level thing, but that Jesus walks with his people. And not only does he do it, he desires it. Number three. Jesus' demonstration of the power of communion. Jesus' demonstration of the power of communion. So, verse 16 now moves us into this last um, section, this, this, the actual activity of eating the Passover and the introduction of the Lord's Supper. And I just, a few words on the Passover, uh, John read it earlier, but basically this was a celebration of what God had done in, um, in Egypt, right? He told them to slaughter a lamb, to take hyssop and put the lamb's blood on the door frames, and that the angel of death would pass over Right, And he would not go into the homes where the blood was, but he would kill the firstborn of everyone else. Right, So that's why it's called Passover. The angel of death passed over the houses that were covered with the blood. And then God instructed after this that every year at this time they would celebrate this. Every year that they would remember what God had done. Every year they would look back and they would, eat, they would slaughter a lamb and they would eat and they would eat unleavened bread and they would celebrate what God had done when he saved them from Egypt and gave them an escape, an exodus to the promised land. And so these meals were eaten in a certain order at a certain time and represented a time of remembrance and celebration of what God had done. And so I, don't, I can't get into all the details of like how many this and that and whatever, but there was an order to this. Right, And so I want you to imagine for a moment that Jesus is reading out something that these disciples had gone through every day, every year of their lives. Right, They've gone through this ceremony that they're going through. And at one point, Jesus adds, and this is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. And all the disciples look at each other like, that's not in the program. Right? And he says, this is my blood, which is the new covenant. And they're like, do we hear him right? I think he's going off, he's going off script. Right? Get back to your notes. And I don't know if you've ever had this or not, but there's certain ceremonies, right, that if somebody just inserted something random into it, you would all look at each other like, that's not usually how we do, you know, Thanksgiving. It's not usually how we do Christmas. And so these disciples, as they're listening to Jesus speak, he inserts these new elements into the Passover. And so what is it that the disciples were meant to get from this? And what is it that we are meant to get from this? 
And in the simplest terms I can put is that Jesus is the better Passover. Jesus is the better Passover. Jesus wants the disciples to recognize that the next day, right, the next day when he's taken to the cross and his body is beaten and his bones are crushed and his blood flows from his body, that he is the better Passover lamb. Every year these people had celebrated this thing that God had done. And what has to sink into the minds and the hearts of the disciples is that now Jesus has come. And all those Passovers that they've done before are representative of this moment. Looking forward to when God would send his son to die as the perfect Passover lamb. And so when they see what is happening, they will remember Jesus saying, this is my body. That is broken for you. Do this in remembrance from me. When they see what is happening, they will remember Jesus saying that this is his blood of the new covenant given for you. And Jeremiah 31 points us to what that new covenant includes. I want to read it real quick. Jeremiah 31 verse 31 says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel. And with the people of Judah. And it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they broke my covenant. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. There is power that Jesus is demonstrating in this meal. And that power is that there is something new coming where God will, will, will write his law on their minds and on their hearts, that they will be transformed, that they will, they will come to know God in a greater way. And all of that is represented by what Jesus is doing right here, right now. No longer will they remember the Passover of what God did in Egypt. What they will remember is the Passover that God did of their sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. The bread and the cup represent what Jesus has done for us, what he has done in our place. There's power in knowing that what we're going to do here in a couple of minutes remembers what Jesus did for us. Not only will they remember what Jesus has done, but they will survive on what Jesus has done. For them, it will no longer just be a ceremony, but it will be a reminder that Jesus is with them. This meal that they will continue to take will be a reminder that they are to live on the bread of life who is Jesus Christ. They are to to find their life in him and in the sacrifice that he gave. It will unite them, right? Take this and divide it among you. This table unites us under the beauty of Jesus. Finally, the power of this communion is one that points the disciples forward to the day when they will eat this with Jesus again. Revelation 19.9 says, Then the angel said to me, Write this, 
Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. While the Passover looked forward to Jesus, communion looks forward to eternity. And so when I think about this, I can't help but, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but I can't help but think of the first time that I was able to take communion. Um, it was the week after I was baptized, and we took communion when I was growing up every week. And um, so it was the week after we were ba- I, was, I was baptized, and I remember this clearly because I was like 10, and so like I was on the edge of like children's church and not children's church, and there was this little boy who always wanted me to like go with him to children's church. And I remember going, but I remember telling my dad on the way out, because he did like a little sermon before we left, he said, he said but I have to take communion. Right? I remember, like, I have to take communion. Now, there may have been some motives in that that were not pure. Like, I wanted to be cool, maybe, you know, do what everybody else was doing. But I like to believe that there was also an element of that in this, that I finally, truly understood what we were doing. Jesus had come into my heart. He had saved me. I had been baptized. I had confessed that I, I was his. And so in this eating of this meal, I knew the power of what we were doing. That I was remembering what Jesus had done, that I was dwelling on him being with me, and that I was looking forward to the day when I would be with him in eternity. And so for us, I don't know if this happens to you, but sometimes I think, you know, if God would perform a miracle like the Passover, like I would never forget that. I mean, think about that miracle with the blood over the door and the angel passing over and the escape through the Red Sea and all that kind of stuff. Like, I just, I imagine that I would never forget that miracle. But the Israelites, they began to forget it. It became weaker in their, in their mind. There was people who weren't there for it anymore. And because it's natural for us, we forget And what I want to tell you this morning is that Jesus going to the cross and defeating sin on your behalf and taking the sin that you deserve and being raised from the dead and stirring your heart in such a way in which you turn from your sin and return to him, that is the greatest miracle that, Jesus, that God has ever performed in history and we're quick to forget it as well. We think that if God would do these great signs and these great wonders that I would never forget that. The greatest sign and the greatest wonder he's ever done is dying on the cross for you and for me. And how quick we are to forget that. How quick we are to turn what we're about to do into just like what what Catherine said, just a ritual to go through rather than a time of remembering and communing with the Lord. And so I say all that to say this, there is beauty in what we're about to do. There's truth in it. There's, there's, there's wonder in it. There's remembering in it. There's looking forward in it. There's power in it. But we get this chance to dwell on the reality of what Jesus has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. And so as we get ready to, to take this together, I want us to think about the power of 
communion, that, that Jesus desires to walk with you daily. Right, that there's beauty in that, that he's woven it into his plan. And so let us not get stuck in superficial communion, but let us live in genuine communion. And let us remember in the act of communion. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this time in your word. And um, Lord, as we get ready to, to remember um, this meal that you presented to your disciples, Lord, I, um, I just want us to, to know that, that this isn't something that should be easily forgotten. Lord, that this isn't something that we um, take lightly, Lord, but that we know that this is representative of the sacrifice that you made on the cross for us, Lord. This is a time for us to truly unite together as the people of God and, and to know that, that we are living under that sacrifice, Lord, that you have saved us to yourself, and Lord, that we are so thankful for that. So Lord, I pray that you would just make us aware of that this morning, Lord, and lead us through this time. In your name we pray, amen. I ask that, uh, the deacons, active and inactive, they'll come forward as we get ready to serve communion.
take your cups and separate them. There's one with bread and one with juice. And um, we'll read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. We had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. Now we will have our time of invitation. So if you would, please stand, and we will conclude our service together singing. If you have anything that you need to come forward for, we'll be here at the front.
be seated really quickly. Um, I'm going to ask Brett to come up. Um, for those of you who don't know, this is Brett Gordon. He's also my brother-in-law. And uh, he has been attending our youth program for like four, four years probably pretty consistently and attending Sunday mornings um, probably for over a year now uh, consistently. And uh, he um, wants to join us formally um, as a member of Glenlock Baptist Church, he will be uh, joining by statement, and uh, he is a believer. Um, he's been baptized, and uh, he just wants to formally come along us and us along him um, as he continues to grow in his walk with the Lord. So, um, what is the pleasure of Glenlock? Second. Everyone who is in favor, say so by saying amen. amen. All right. Well, we're thankful. I'm thankful for. For Brett, this is um, nothing. It's fine. I'm fine. All right, but this is this is a big deal for me um, because I love him so much. So um, I don't want to talk about it too long. But after the service, if you don't know Brett, he's going to be standing right up here with Brooke and uh, my my mother-in-law Christy is also here, and my other brother-in-law Russ. And so if you don't know Brett, I would encourage you to just come say hey. He's awesome, um, and um, get to know him. Tonight, 5 o'clock, choir, yes, and then normal services at 6, so we'll have students, kids choir, and um, adult study. Neil will be here. So, um, as we conclude, anybody, you got anything else? No? All right. We're going to sing together, so I guess stand back up, and uh, we'll conclude our service together. Hey, we have a new church member, so we have to change it to Family of God. That's my rule. Let's sing that together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side. For I'm part of the family, the family. Have a great week.